Welcome to the podcast of champions. This is the Herald Express Devon Live Talker United Yellow Army podcast created weekly for you by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. Here you can find everything you ever wanted to know about Talker United. You can find the podcast in the Talker United section of devonlive.com or you can subscribe to us in iTunes or at Acast. Yes, and welcome once again to the podcast that heaps confusion upon confusion. We've got music again for you this week. More music from the legendary 10 seconds as we reach the letter L in our A to Z of Talkie United. The tune you hear in the background is called Theatre of Pain. Sums up our Playmore experience for so many of us over the years. You'll hear a bit more of that a little bit later on. Also, are we ever going to see football at Playmore again? The National League's timetable for restarting the season seems as confusing as ever it was we'll look into that as well we hear from gary johnson about two promising young lads that he signed uh, on professional contracts at playmore and um, we'll talk about danny wright the striker is danny wright coming to talk united we don't know nobody knows and if anybody knows they're not saying and you can understand why there's so much uncertainty there's so much confusion around it all who knows what's going to happen over the next few weeks and of course the L in the A to Z, that means Martin Ling, it means Dennis Lewis, and it means Mark Loram. Listen in and enjoy the podcast. Richard, nice to see you at the, the other end of the screen again. We're, other end of the screen, other end of Torbay. We are still socially distanced. I'm quite hopeful that we can actually do this two metres apart in the garden at some point, I think. We should try that. There might be a lot of seagull noise in between us over there at your place, though. You yeah, never know. and, and there are, because of where I live, I, I live on a, a road to a beach. There seems to be a lot of youths on scooters, okay. or whatever they call them nowadays. <laughs> uh, a lot of noise going up and down the hill, so it's probably not wise. No, that's true. You made any impulse buys this week, things that you've seen on the internet that uh, that you've gone out and bought? Guitars, in your case, I would have thought. CDs. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're the person who's still buying CDs. I'm very pleased I to hear know. it. Well, I'm, going, I'm going through this phase at the moment. I'm converting all my CDs to uh, files for the computer and putting them on a hard drive so that I can I can lock all my CDs away. And I've got so many that there's so much space used up by them. And I'm, I'm literally doing it one CD at a time, which is which is which is it's good fun because I'm, I'm rediscovering stuff. But um, it's also maybe want to buy more CDs. So I, uh, I've go. got Cherry Red's record. Record, record uh, uh, website, Cherry Red Records website the other day and uh, got a bit carried away. There you go. Well, my impulse buy this week has been this. What you hear in the background is my Yorkshire Gulls coffee mug being tapped by my Yorkshire Gulls pen. I saw one on Facebook and I thought I've just got to have one. Bone China hewn from the very living rock of Yorkshire. It is a very fine product. It is indeed. Can I have a look? You can have a look. On the screen, there it is. Oh, very nice. Obviously, this is good for radio, but I can see it. it's lovely. Yeah, it's um, it, it nice piece of kit. So uh, thank you very much, lads, for sending that through so quickly. They said they'd get it here in time for the podcast, and they good have stuff. done so. Good, sir. But uh, yeah, let's talk about but football. I spent my money on 
on CDs <laughs> Enough music and mugs. Let's talk about football. Um, interesting um, words from the National League this week. They're talking about possibly, well, you know more about this than I do, but possibly playing those playoffs behind closed doors. The playoffs, if they happen, will apparently be behind closed doors, uh, said Mr. Tattersall of the National League. Now, um, they they are still waiting on, on League 2 and League 1 and the Championship and the FA and the EFL and, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of a lot of decisions to be made above the National League before they can, they can say, yes, we can do the playoffs. But the FA have given them the green light to play the playoffs if that is what yeah. is needed. Uh, the, the official... Uh, green light to extend the season has been given by the FA so now they just have to work out whether they need to or not of course if, if League 2 which they did of course originally vote for no relegation there is absolutely no no need for playoffs you know, no. so they won't be played um, League 2's decision was then overturned by the EFL and we were back to square one and we seem to be back to square one every week at the moment but uh, we'll see um, it's interesting uh, you, you, we were chatting before we went live, you, you were talking about the fact that they've, they've given uh, the date of August the 8th for the start of the new National League season, if the government allows. Yeah. And that will be with crowds, apparently. Well, yeah, I mean, because the, the, the National League has said quite rightly that there's no way that you can play these games behind closed doors. Clubs just won't be able to afford that. You can't play in front of an empty stadium. Um, with no income coming in through the turnstiles. So they're saying, as far as I understand it, they're saying they're aiming for that date of August the 8th to restart with the uh, the new season, but it's not practical to play behind closed doors. And I can't see a football match with a crowd going ahead by August the 8th. Can you? I mean, we have been at Playmore when you, you, you can stand, stand two metres <laughs> apart from each other. We've uh, been socially, dis- socially distanced since about 1968, haven't we, at Playmore? Yeah, yeah. but, um, it, it, you know, the seating is close together. You know, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to, to believe that by August the 8th, we will be allowed to all go into Playmore and have a jolly good time celebrating football again. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't see it happening. Now, w- w- one thing I will say about that date, August the 8th, is they haven't come up with that date, you know, oh, we're aiming for August the 8th because we reckon it will be all right by August the 8th. August the 8th was always going to be the start yeah. date for the new season. So all they're saying really is we're aiming for to start the season on time yeah. and with crowds. Um, we shall see. You see, I mean, Plainmore's capacity is, what, five and a half, six thousand. So you've got room in there, theoretically, to socially distance a crowd of fifteen, sixteen hundred quite comfortably, haven't you? If you were to put a sticker on every third seat or something like that, so, you know, you can sit here, you can sit here, you can sit here. It would be an absolute pain in the neck, but it would be possible, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I think what you've got to remember is people are going to be so starved of, of football for that first game yeah. that the crowd is likely to be quite big when, when when they're allowed back into playing more. So I think I think that reduces capacity for that. You'd have to be ticket only, wouldn't you? And yeah, all the complications yeah, yeah. that that involves as well. Yeah, I mean it's just a, it's just a nightmare, isn't it? It's a, 
all sorts of scenarios, I suppose, will be going through people's heads. I mean, interestingly, I mean, it occurred to me this week that uh, while I was talking to Stuart James, who who does Exodus City for the uh, Echo and for uh, the Western Moyer News, we were talking about the fact that they, they are preparing for playoffs against Colchester. Um, obviously, that's not been given the green light yet, unless I haven't looked today, but unless unless I missed something. Um, it's not yet been given the green light, and uh, but Exeter City are back in training and training for a playoff game um, at Colchester, and then a you know return leg at Exeter, and then if they win they win through those, those games, then then they'll be playing at Wembley, an em- and, uh, empty Wembley. Yeah, an empty Wembley. Imagine that. How strange is that going to be? I mean, I, I, you know, obviously Stuart will go being the Exeter City correspondent. I, I think I might try and try and get a, a press pass for that because it'll be something, you know, that it's worth some, experiencing. Yeah, it'll be something to uh, something to uh, tell people in years to come, wouldn't it? It's yeah. all very I mean, very odd. Such an odd situation to play a, a playoff final where you know Exeter would probably take twenty thousand. I would have thought, mm. if not more. Um, I can't remember who the other Northampton, I think, and Cheltenham is it? I can't remember, but you know, there'd probably be forty thousand there on a on a good day for so well-supported for clubs. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Very odd. The other big uh, topic of conversation for Talker United fans this week has been a gentleman by the name of Danny Wright, um, striker, um, finished his contract at Solihull Moors with the end of this season. He's been around a bit. He was with Gary at Cheltenham. Um, he's played for a few other clubs as well, hasn't he? And he was very successful with Gary at Cheltenham. Uh, yeah. the, part of that team with Aaron Downs that won uh, promotion back into the league, uh, 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 which uh, obviously Gary Gary is a hero there for doing. Um, they didn't give him much opportunity to stay in the league afterwards no, today, but yeah. um, that's to our benefit, of course. Now, I mean, you you've put the name of I mean, Danny Wright to, to put it into context. He's been talking. Uh, to our colleagues up in Cheltenham, uh, John and Mark, about the fact that he's looking for a new club. He thinks he's going to be playing in the National League. He's turned down the opportunity to go to Gloucester, which is National League South, isn't it? Um, That's what Wolf, actually, would you believe? Is it really? Oh, yeah, yeah that, that was, yeah, that, of course it was. It was that strange carve-up, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and everybody's putting two and two together and, and making making it almost certain that he's about to come to play more. But you've asked Gary, and I know how much Gary hates being put in the position of, of denying things and, and refusing to be drawn on things because, you know, he, he doesn't like that whole business. You could you could say to him, we hear that uh, Lionel Messi is signing for Torquay United and we then have to put in a story that he'd been forced to deny rumours linking him with Lionel Messi. But it's just one of those, it, it's no more than speculation at the moment, is it? No, no, it's not, it isn't. And... Um... To be fair, the, the story was framed uh, about um, Danny Wright um, talked to the chaps up in Cheltenham about the fact that he turned down and moved to Gloucester City mm-hmm. rather than actually about anything else in particular. But during the conversation that he had with him in the interview, he says, um, you know, Gloucester might be the right fit for me in, in a few years' time. This guy's, this, this guy's 35, mind you. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, he, he believes he's, got, he's still got a couple of years in the top division in the National League in him, and that's why he wants to play. Um, he says, you know, in a few years, that might be the right fit for me, and I'd like to help them to, because that's where he lives, I'd like to help them to, to get up into the National South, uh, sorry, National Premier. 
Um, but I, I think I know where I'm going, and uh, I've, you know, I've agreed uh, with a team to play for them in the top division in the National League, and that will come out when it comes out. And that's basically all that he says. Um, the interview was done by Mark Halliwell, who then points out during the article that, that um, Danny Wright has been sharing training rides with former teammate Aaron Downs. Yeah. So okay. That one yeah. Um, and uh, then what happened was there's no mention of Torquay in the article, of course. No. But then what happened was is uh, Mark Halliwell's colleague uh, John Palmer tweeted about the story, and in his tweet, in his headline, he said basically, uh, "Danny Wright is going to Torquay." <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So that's that's the the top and bottom of it. So let's let's not add to the speculation, but let's say he wouldn't be a bad signing. But he's at the opposite end of his career to a lot of the players that Gary and Aaron like to work with. You know, they like to work with young players, coach them, and get them you know into the Torquay United way of thinking. But a player with a proven track record who scores goals at this level, especially having lost Jamie Reid, uh, he wouldn't be a bad signing, would he? No, I think he'd be a great signing. To be honest with you, I don't. Um, I mean, he was at Sully Hall Moors last season when they finished second yeah. and blocked out on promotion in the playoffs. Um, and he was an integral part of that team. He, he didn't play quite as much for them this season. And then, of course, we all know what happened to this season, so it never finished. But um, I, 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 I looked at his stats and he scores goals. played over 400 games for, you know, during his career. Yeah. He's, he scored some good goals. He's... Um, He's he, he scored wherever he's been. Yeah, uh, been quite a few teams: Histon, Cambridge. Um, I put myself on the spot now. He's, um, he's, Shell, um, <laughs> he's played against us a few times as well, hasn't he? Been Rovers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's had a decent career, and experience is massive at this level. Yeah, we know from when we won promotion back to the football league the last time under Paul Buckle, how experienced in that team with the likes of. Wayne Carlisle, Chris Hargreaves, um, even Kevin Nicholson, although he, yeah. the, the experience of those players was massive. In And then, you know, you had the little sort of, uh, yeah, you had the, the other players that, that were on their way up, Elliot Bennions, etc. And, you know, no, a few you, more experienced heads yeah, in that team yeah. wouldn't be, when that squad wouldn't be a bad thing at all. And looks, I mean, interestingly, he was talking about his gluten intolerance. He, when he was younger, he was always felt he was tireder than other players, yeah. more tired than other players, and couldn't work out why. And, then, and much later on, uh, before he got to Cheltenham, I believe, he, he discovered that he had a gluten intolerance, changed his diet, and that, you know, that, yeah. has, that has helped him carve a career that, that is still going at 35. So not adding to the speculation in any way, but if he did turn out to join us, you and I would be quite happy, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Indeed. it'd be great to watch him behind closed doors. It is. Now, two, yeah. now, two players who have signed pro forms this week, uh, and this is great news as well, another two lads coming through from the um, the youth wing of Torquay United, Owen Price and JJ Evans have signed pro forms. Um, before we talk about that, let's have a little listen. You had a chat with Gary um, earlier this week and the subject of Messrs Price and Evans came up. Let's just have a little listen to that. Let's talk about the two youngsters that you uh, you, you signed up. So tell me about them. Well, they've got, they, they've got very, very good 
potential, uh, similar to Olaf and Louis Slough. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in as much as that, uh, you know, they're they definitely potential. These two have still got a little bit of development left in them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they go from sort of young men to real men, if you know what I mean. You know, it's a big after step a, a few yeah. years, some some earlier than others. Um, but you you you, you can't um, not notice the quality of these players. You know, so for for me, they've both got quality. They've got, both got potential to be, um, you know, have a living in the game. And, and we got to try and nurture it, bring it out, and uh, hope. And, you know, and obviously that's why we decided that you know those two uh, this year have probably got the scope um, and the quality to, you know, as I say, become full-time professionals. Oh, we're not. They they will be full-time professionals, but I've got the scope to become um, quality players in the yeah. future. That obviously you you've used them in you know Devon Bowl stuff and, and and second team stuff when you've had an opportunity to do that. Um, what have you seen in them that that that, that marks them out as it were? What what the positions well, are they, Gary? Yeah, no, that's right. Well, Owen is a, a left back. Um, he's got a, a, a real you know good left foot, um, and he's got energy to burn. He's a strong lad and committed lad. Yeah. He's not uh, very tall necessarily. He's probably about five eight at the minute. He's probably going to finish up five nine, five ten or something. But um, he, he's strong, very strong. He's built like a little British bulldog, <laughs> and um, yeah. And so he's uh, you know got the good traits of a, a good defender. And then JJ is a clever midfield player. Um, you know he's got qualities in in, in both feet. He's a um, yeah, he's, he's just a, a good all-round midfield player, probably more of an attacking midfield midfielder. But we've got to, uh, you know, get him defending a little bit more and being strong. And uh, but he'll get that. Um, but he knows the game and he certainly sees the pass. So um, you know, he's got good control of the of the football. That's the, uh, his main traits. And because of the links with South Devon College and the fact that you you know you all use that that great pitch and facility up there obviously the players will know them as well uh, yeah, well I know yeah exactly that's the beauty of our link with the South Devon College and of course uh, the link goes to Toddy as well yeah. you know um, he uh, Chris Todd you know he's, he's in both camps of course and those two lads both represented England colleges right okay um, yeah you know which is great which um you know, which obviously was a good, a big bonus for them, because um, there was a lot of people that could have been uh, got in that side. Yeah. Um, so no, at the end of the day, it, it's um, what was what was your original question? It's just the fact that the players would know know them, that, that they would know the players, they'd be used to playing, I guess, alongside the players because yeah. you, they that they they're a part, they they almost are a part of the training setup anyway. Yeah, they are absolutely. They, it's just that they didn't train full time. They no. probably trained yeah. two or three times a week, played games. Um, you know, whenever we had practice matches or friendly matches, they were involved. So, no, certainly everybody that was at the club, um, you know, knows that uh, knows the two lads, and they know us. And 
you know, so that initial initiation period they've already gone through, really. Yeah, and yeah. it's just a matter now of knuckling down as a full-time professional, still doing a, a little bits like Owen will still do little bits and pieces at the college in his spare time. You know, he's carrying on his his studies, which is good. Um, and uh, and I, and I think so. Uh, I'm not sure about JJ actually. I'm not sure that he I think he might be a year older than okay. Owen. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so we're pleased to get them on board and, you know, that gives us four lads from that sort of system. Yeah. Uh, the proof's in the pudding. When they're ready, I'll bring them in and we'll see whoever they uh, they can handle the, the, next, the next step. Brilliant. Okay. Interesting chat, Richard. I mean, it's, it's always good to see some young lads coming through and these two sound pretty promising. Yeah, another, another um, outcome of the... the uh good link that they have with Southern College and the training ground up there. I mean, these players have been on the, uh, 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 have been in Torquay squads for, you know, reserve games and for Devon Bowl games, pre-season friendly games. A picture I used in the paper this week of, uh, of Owen Price's from a game against Tiverton. Yes. Yeah. Part of last season. So, you know, they, they have been around and uh, they've obviously impressed the manager uh, Chris, Chris Todd, obviously, as Gary says, has got his feet in both camps. He works for both South Devon College and he runs uh, the kids' uh, stuff for, for Talk United. So they've obviously seen something that they like in both of those players. And, you know, it, it, the signing of those players, uh, their first pro contracts took the squad up from 12 to 14. Um, he sees them in the same light as he sees Olaf Cazella and, um, and Louis Slough as... Yeah. as Players to develop, although you know those those two signed last year, so they're a year ahead. But players to develop for the future, rather than players that are going to significantly add to the first team at the moment. But he likes them. He he used the word quality a lot when he was talking about them. He used the word potential a lot when he was talking yeah. about them. And uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll be I'll be looking forward to seeing them in pre-season when that happens. So we've got an attacking midfielder in JJ and a, a left-back British Bulldog in Owen, by the sound of it. Yeah. The two attributes you really need for a team as well, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, it'd be lovely to see homegrown players come through, wouldn't yeah. it? It's been, it's been a while since, uh, uh, I guess, Levi Ives would be the last one that really broke through. Mm. <clears throat> and then, obviously, we know what happened to him. He moved to Bristol City and then went back to, to um, Ireland. But... Uh, um, and he's not local, obviously, but I meant I meant through the yeah, through yeah. the uh, academy or whatever you want to call it, rather than. But you know, the, 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 these boys have, have obviously worked hard to get their chance, and uh, let's hope they take it. Yeah, good stuff. Right, we're moving through the alphabet, the Plainmore alphabet. Thanks, Julian, for your tips again. Uh, we've reached the letter L already. Can you believe that? We're we're in the murky depths of the middle of the alphabet now. The L means that we've got more music later on from the legendary 10 Seconds band we talked about last week, Ian Churchwood's band, a song called Theatre of Pain. This week will be coming up at the end of the podcast and it sums up the Plainmore experience um, that many of us have had over the years. So we look forward to that. That's a a good one. For every joy, there's a... Okay, so we—I mean, we have to start the L's in one place and one place only with a player uh, I think is the most naturally gifted footballer I've ever seen play at Torquay United. Um, play people with longer memories may go back even further than me, but Mark Loram for me 
just what a gifted player. We've talked about him on the podcast before. You can't actually talk about Talk United for very long without mentioning Mark Loram. But uh, he has pride of place in this L team for me this week. Great, great player. Do you agree? Uh, obviously, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I, I used to watch him uh, from the grandstand, the old grandstand, and then from the pop side. Yeah. He was quality, wasn't he? He was natural. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, he got his move to QPR and then that, that didn't work too well and he came back. But, you know, we all know what a quality player he was. Interestingly, he, isn't it Lee Sharp in his autobiography who who talks about Mark Loram as one of the, the most gifted players he's ever played with? Yeah, yeah, he does. And you can understand that. I mean, he played 330-odd games. For you. I'm, I'm just... Uh, Chuckling there because your webcam has just picked up the arrival of the dog on your lap. We'll have to put a picture of the dog into the um, into the article somewhere. But yeah, Laws played three hundred and thirty odd games for Torquay, sixty three goals. His, his spell at QPR was not successful, basically because he'd rather be in Torbay. He'd rather be with his mates in Brixham. There's a, a clip from um, a program, clipping from a program that I found online and it's one of those uh, pen picture things where you list all the stuff that uh, you're into and your previous clubs and his hobby he put down as socialising. So Absolutely, we, we all know he was a good socialiser. He was a terrific socialiser, but what a great footballer. You know, not the, not the greatest in any one position, but as an all-round player, I don't think you'll see the likes of uh, Mark Loram again for a very, very long time. No, and I, I, I'm just trying to find him in the book here but he played a, quite a lot of games have you got the stats there guys? 331 games he played for Torquay yeah. and didn't retire well not retire but didn't he stop at 26 or something something like that yeah something uh, like yeah, that a lot of games to squeeze into yeah. that time um, uh, brilliant player Crucial. and then uh, and, and to be fair to him once he left Torquay he carried on playing in, in local circles for yeah. a considerable amount of time uh, you know I think he he enjoyed playing with his mates, you know. And, exactly. And, well, I mean, he would play. I mean, I, I laid, did I ever tell you I laid on a goal for Mark Loram once? Did you? I'm going to tell you all about it. I can't remember who we were playing for. It was a Sunday morning game up at Wall Park in Brixham. It was either Brixham Trawler Agents, Berryhead Spurs, Brixham United, or just a pickup team somewhere. I mean, Mark would play, as you say, if there was a pitch, 21 other people and a football, Mark would play. Um, always up for a game of football. Um, and I, play, people who've scored loads and loads of goals in their illustrious football careers probably don't remember every goal they were ever part of, but I do because I was only ever part of a handful. I remember all my goals. <laughs> yeah. Weird, isn't it? It is. And this one, I was I was ploughing for some reason down the right wing at War Park, not a place I almost, often found myself. Uh, and I like to think that I fired the ball into the edge of the box because I saw Mark making a run to that area. What probably happened was that I was running out of steam and a defender was about to catch me. So I just launched the ball in the vague area of the uh, penalty area. Laura met it first time, left foot, pinged it into the top left-hand corner. I like to think that it was the cross that did all the work and he just needed to make contact with it. But uh, I can remember that as clear as day. He probably doesn't, but because he scored <laughs> scored hundreds and hundreds of goals, but I can remember every second of that particular goal. Absolutely, no uh, quality player, and um, uh, yeah, would be in the uh, would be in the best eleven, let alone the best L's. I think so. So uh, I, undoubtedly, we'll mention him again in the podcast as we go through. But um, pride of place this week, Mark Loram. 
alongside him as well, Dennis Lewis. Uh, Dennis Lewis, whose record of appearances for Torquay, uh, we actually we have to mention at this point, I think it's maybe one of only two or three times it gets mentioned, your favourite team, Aldershot, get mentioned here. But uh, Dennis Lewis was at Playmore from 1947, immediately after the war pretty much, to 1959. Played 474 games for Torquay. And only Kevin Hill's appearance at Wembley um, took the record off him, obviously. But you, yeah, actually, you'll be delighted to know. August 1947, he scored on his debut against Aldershot. Yay! <laughs> and everything, everything was downhill from there. But Dennis Lewis is obviously one of those names that, you know, everyone knows um, because of the appearance record. Um, I'm not sure how many people saw him play, obviously, that are, that are around today, but, um, you know, he's obviously a class player. Yeah, he worked for the club afterwards as well in various capacities. He, you know, he stayed around the playing more family after he'd finished playing football as well. But what a career, 474 games over a 12-year period. You don't get many players who do that these days, do you? No, you don't. Um, if you're hearing any little sort of growls, that's the dog. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I thought it was you, but I thought you were getting hungry. Uh, there you go. He's comfy. He, uh, he lets out these little moans. <laughs> don't, we all? don't we all? And, uh, yeah, he was got a bit too comfy in my arms there, and uh, he was starting to, to, to be quite loud. So yeah. I think I'm... Okay, we, we would never have been any the wiser. We'd have thought it was you. L is L is for lone players as well. Now, lone players, when you're a, a team uh, that's in the bottom divisions, the team that's in the National League, lone players make up uh, quite a large part of your squad, don't you? Gary and the team at Playmore, very canny players of the lone game, aren't they? Well, of course, um, lone players aren't a modern phenomena, but, but, but the amount of lone players that a club has... Uh, during a season, has grown quite a lot in modern times. Yeah. And of course, that's because you need 16 in a squad now, or 18 if you're in the the, uh, the football league. So, you know, um, lone players help help uh, make, make up those numbers. Yeah. And, um, but we've had some quality lone players over there. I mean, when, you, when you mentioned this to me earlier on, that L, L would be lone players as well, first thing that popped into my head was um, Jason Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a player! What a player! If, if only we could. That shows what kind of an impact that, that um, a lone player can have when he he came and linked up with Rodney Jack and and, and we were top of the old third division. Um, oh, yeah, great, great, great. <laughs> Such a quality and player. We lost him. He went back to Wolves, and it all dried up a bit then, didn't it? Yeah, it did. If only we could have held on to him a little bit longer that season, it could all have been. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, could Man, all have been Man, done Man. and dusted. Pardon? Mervyn Benny used to claim that loan deal. Well, with, with, kudos to Mervyn then, because that was um, that's a good one. Chairman at some kind of uh, FA do, and uh, and that was the result. <laughs> okay, a couple of loan players beginning with L as well for this week. Uh, different eras, really. Alan Lee, who we had on loan, he played nine games for us on loan from Aston Villa. In 1999, I, I remember him being an absolute revelation uh, yeah. playing in that team. What a good player he was. He was, and of course he went on to have quite a decent career as well. Uh, um, but I remember him being strong. I remember him scoring one particular goal, and uh, I can't remember who it was against, but it was a great goal. He was, he was a good player. He was a player. great header of the ball, wasn't he? 
yeah, that's right. Went on to play for Rotherham, Cardiff, Ipswich. He was an Ireland international. Uh, and another player that you just thought, oh, if only we could have hung on to him for a little bit longer. But three goals he got for us in nine games. Not a bad return. No, good player. Good player. And a more recent one. And uh, Gary hinted uh, the other day that he might be thinking, you know, some of the lone players that we've seen before might be returning. I wouldn't be unhappy to see Jackson Longridge. Uh, come back uh, if that was a possibility who knows if it is or not we had him on loan this in the season that hasn't quite finished but has finished uh, from Bradford City played a lot of games up in Scotland played for Ayr and Stranraer and, and Livingston and Dunfermline uh, I liked him a lot like uh, over in that left back slot especially playing in front of the pop side I thought he got into the swing of the game really quickly he's got a tackle on him uh, releases the ball quickly I thought he was a decent player I'd quite like to see him back I liked him, um, and uh, he, he he started well, didn't he? And then he got a little bit of a knock, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, then came back, and, and uh, I interviewed him just before lockdown, uh, a couple of weeks maybe, about you know how uh, he was looking forward to kicking on during the season and, and, and pushing. And you know, I remember him saying that you know they they really were going to go push for the playoffs. Yeah, um, and then two weeks later, it's all over. But um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to seeing Jackson Longridge back. Longridge, Longridge, I, no B in it. There's no B. Okay, moving on in the alphabet, uh, a manager. He, he'll be managing our team of um, L's in a minute when we get around to that. Martin Ling. Uh, manager at Torquay United. He was manager uh, from June 2011 to January 2013. That's while you were um, you were elsewhere, weren't you? you well, were I was up, up country. He, he is. Uh, if you look at the ratings for uh, Torquay United managers on TorquayFanStats.com, we couldn't get through a podcast. We couldn't get through a week without TorquayFanStats.com. By the way, thanks to them and their um, amazing database of facts and figures. Martin Ling is the ninth in the rankings of uh, Torquay United's managers for all-time uh, win percentage. Uh, Gary Johnson, of course, is top of that at the moment. Uh, Gary's win percentage is absolutely superb. But Martin's 39.5%. And we won 32 of his 81 games while he was at Plainmore. Um, and Martin's career has been very well documented. A thoroughly, thoroughly nice guy to talk to from our point of view as reporters. Um, a really good guy the first time I ever met him we had a game that was abandoned we were playing late in Orient and if I remember rightly the floodlights went out or was it fog or was it floodlights I can't remember but I know the game was abandoned and we were all sort of standing around waiting to see if the game was going to restart again and I found myself leaning on the railings in front of the uh, front of the grandstand just chatting to Martin Ling um, and we spent quite a long time just talking football and talkie and late Orient and that and a thoroughly, thoroughly nice guy. Um, uh, David always spoke highly of him, didn't he? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, his his issues with depression and anxiety are, are very well documented. I mean, there's uh, there's been quite a lot written uh, about Martin over the last couple of years and um yeah, it, it, it's a great shame that he didn't stay with us a little bit longer. You can understand why, and his health obviously had to come first. But, you know, January 2013, it was just turning into, you know, another really good season. And uh, it would have been good. It would have been good to have Martin around the club for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll defer to you on this one because I was away, but um, from all accounts, he was a, he was a 
Class manager. A good guy. Good guy. Moving on then, L is for Leeds United, one of wow. Torquay's most famous FA Cup exploits. Yeah. Uh, before our time, 1954-55, when Dennis Lewis would have been in the side, of course. Yep. Uh, Torquay FA Cup third round in January uh, 1955, it would have been then. Two-all draw at Ellen Road against Leeds, who were a pretty formidable outfit back then. Brought them back to Plainmore and beat them 4-0. In Absolutely. In front yeah, of a, 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 a big old crowd at Plainmore, which would be surpassed for the fourth round against Huddersfield uh, when Torquay had their record crowd, 21,908 for the Huddersfield game. Climbing up the, uh, the floodlights. Yeah, and Torquay went out, unfortunately, at that stage. But the 4-0 win over Leeds, that's got to go down as one of Torquay's best ever results. Sammy Collins, Harold Dobby, Ronnie Shaw and Don Mills scorers that day. Torquay United 4, Leeds United 0. I would like to see that kind of result again. No disrespect to Leeds United, obviously. No, of course, but, um, you know, we're obviously the better team. And <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what would happen. It would. So that's just a little milestone in Playmore history. And the other L I've got written down here, for shamelessly, um, just to plug the fact that there's there's a lot of work going on on the Playmore pitch at the moment. Loam, I wrote down, because there was a picture on social media earlier this week of tractors out on the Playmore pitch. It looked absolutely beautiful. It was raked, ready to be um, reseeded or whatever. And that's always that moment in the pre-season when you think, yeah, things are really beginning to move now. So... Maybe it won't be too long before we see some football on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, 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 the ground staff at Playmore over the last couple of years have been fantastic, haven't they? They have. They have. I mean, getting... I mean, you know, another club, uh, the assistant pops up and turns out to be just as good. So, yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been good. And, you know, there's been a lot of football played on it. And obviously when Truro were there as well, it was, uh, it was difficult times, but they, they got through that. Yeah, I was just going to say the Truro, to, to get that pitch through the Truro season, the weather was dreadful around, you know, around the November, December time in that season. And to get that pitch through that was um, heroic. So, um, yeah, kudos to them. So who else have we got in this team of L's then? Well, let's, let's deal with the, the big man first. Osvaldo Lopez. Yes! <laughs> now, I, don't, I have no idea what position Osvaldo Lopez played. He's down on Torquay fan stats for one appearance in 2004-2005. I have no recollection of him whatsoever, even though I would almost certainly have seen that. Well, if it was a home game, I'd definitely have seen it. I have no idea who he was. Mystery man. Mystery man. Was he a loan signing? Was he a young lad? Was he a trialist? Was he on a prove-yourself month-by-month contract, in which case he obviously didn't? Do you know what? There is one avenue I haven't tried so far. The the, um, the database of pinnacle photos that Ooh. we use. Just gonna. He might be in there. Speak. He may be in there. Uh, right, I'll keep talking while you uh, have a look in pinnacle. Are you able? Are you able to do that while continuing the podcast? Spell it, Osvaldo. It's O S V A L D O. L O P for Peter E S for Sugar. Oh, it's, it's not a Z, it's an S. It's an S. <coughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> he well, didn't exist, surely. We'll throw that great mystery out there then to podcast listeners. Who was Osvaldo Lopez and how did he come to play only one game for Talk United? 
Wouldn't it be great if he if he turns up somewhere? Terry Lee is the goalkeeper in the L team. Terry Lee, who we mentioned last week, he was the other protagonist in the Pat Cruz six-second own goal. He was the keeper who came sprinting off his line to uh, catch the long ball that Pat Cruz then nodded gently past him for the six-second own goal. Remember it well. And um, also, Yeah. This Terry Lee had been with Torquay. He played just over 100 games between 75 and 78. He'd started his career at Spurs... He was in the same uh, youth team at Spurs as the likes of Steve Perryman and Jimmy Neighbour. So he was a good player. Good, good player. Uh, good keeper for Torquay. Very popular lad as well. Um, died very young. He died of a heart attack um, while playing cricket for Barton, funnily enough. He was, uh, he was only 43 years old, so um, died tragically young. A good, good goalkeeper. Well worthy of his place in the team. The defence uh, in the L team, Barry Lynch from 1975 to 77, played about 70 games for us. He'd been at Villa, Aston Villa, a recurring theme of uh, this week's L team. He'd also been at Greenwich. Barry Lynch, yeah, two, two seasons. He'd actually, interestingly, he'd played for Atlanta Chiefs and Portland Timbers before he'd come to Torquay. He'd had a couple of summers playing over in the uh, North American Soccer League by the look of it. It's a very 70s name, isn't it? Barry Lynch. Barry Lynch. Yeah, it almost looks, sounds as if he should be starring in Van der Valk or something like that, doesn't he? Well, it could be behind the bar at the Rovers' return, could not he? <laughs> Alongside him in the defence, Albert Larmour, who I always like to think as being Albert Lamour. Yeah, was, um, he was uh, He played 50 games, Albert, between 79 and 82. He was an Irishman. Played 150-odd games for Cardiff as well. So he, he played a lot of games for decent sides. He was captain at Torquay during his time there, but uh, will always be Albert Lamour, as far as I'm concerned. Perfect. Great, great accent. There, <laughs> uh, next to him in the heart of the defence is somebody who sat alongside us in the, uh, in the press box for a long time, working for Press Association after he'd finished playing. Phil Lloyd, terrific Absolutely. defender. Great guy, um, was living in Paynton, I'm not sure if he's still living in Paynton, but he played 217 games for Torquay, scored 11 goals, of which I wouldn't mind betting 10 were probably headers, and the other one probably went in off his shin or something. But, yeah, uh, uh, such a nice bloke as well. Yeah, played 130-odd games for Darlington as well, but uh, yeah, Phil what a towering defender, an absolute, yeah. absolute mountain oh. of a defender. Yeah, you wouldn't want to argue with him. I mean, lovely bloke off the pitch, but you wouldn't want to get into um, a physical contest with him on the pitch, would you? It's when he was when he was doing bits in the press box, he kind of almost deferred to his his thoughts on situations, didn't he? Because he was obviously such an experienced footballer. Yeah, yeah. Our, our level, our level of the game, you know, we write about it, but um, you know, he knows more. That's it. There's no, there's no substitute for actually having been in that, um, in that atmosphere, is there? So yeah, one of those people, and always, always very uh, generous with his time, um, and with his help with him when he was doing the press stuff as well. Yeah. And alongside him, Chris Ledbitter, who I've actually moved from uh, midfield into defence because just to make up the numbers here, he was at Torquay from uh, 1970, sorry, 1997 to 99, 63 games, two goals. He played for Hereford, Cambridge, Bournemouth and Argyle before he came to us. And he went back to Argyle and played quite a lot of games for them after that as well, which is yeah, kind, good, good kind of unusual. Good, 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 solid player. Yeah. 
Into the midfield, Alan Little is in midfield for us, brother of Brian. Another Aston Villa start off, Alan Little. Played 60 games, 82 and 83. Those were the years when Torquay really weren't very good. He came into a Torquay team that wasn't doing very well uh, and was one of the better players in it, let's be honest. Uh, he also played for Southend, Barnsley, Doncaster, Halifax and Hartlepool. Long career. Uh, his brother's probably better known, but I remember Alan as being a good player in a poor side. Well, I think Alan was also quite well known for his manager uh, career afterwards, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Halifax and Hartlepool, he was manager there, wasn't he, rather than a player? There's a mistake in my notes here, Richard. You're quite right. Guy, guy. No, uh, you know, obviously worth his place in the team. Uh, a current player slots in here and I think would be in many people's, you know, sort of favourite teams at the moment. Armani Little is, uh, oh, is yeah. in our midfield. Um, there's so much to come from Armani Little, isn't there? He's only played 18 games for us so far. Uh, his time at Playmore has been interrupted by injuries, but he's only 23. Um, he was pulling all the strings for Woking when they were a thorn in our side a couple of seasons ago. And the glimpses that we've had of him so far in those 18 games, he's such a good player, isn't he? Yeah, it's surprising that he's played 18 games, actually, because you think he's been injured a bit more than that. Mm. And of course, he, he was out again when the season stopped. And when we spoke to uh, Asa Hall uh, when I spoke to Asa Hall three, three or four weeks ago of course he pointed out that you know if there's anything good to come out of the, the shutdown of, of the season um, you know uh, he was I think he was expecting at the time for the season to be finished off so you know maybe that's changed but Armani Little might be back back yeah. fit ready I know, uh, he... you know and I think he will be for next season so yeah he's on a con- he's one of those on a two-year contract I think so he's, uh, he's certainly in the squad for next season we look forward to that I, I really look forward to seeing him get a long run in that team running our midfield taking dead balls and you know I mean he's such an exciting prospect and you say only 23 years old he's got years of yeah. football ahead of him so yeah, excited to see him uh, come back Mark Loram obviously slots into this team and alongside him completing the midfield is a gentleman by the name of Mal Lucas a Welsh international, obviously, which makes him practically royalty for the podcast. Played 135 games for Torquay between 70... No, I'm not listening. What, sorry, what did you say? <laughs> the Paynton side of the podcast. <laughs> but it's, it's incredible how Paynton falls within the Welsh border. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah a lot of people don't realise that. Uh, <laughs> He was at Plainmore from 70 to 74. He was 32 when he arrived at Plainmore. He'd had a, quite a long and illustrious career before getting here. He played for Leighton Orient for seven years and then had five years at Norwich before he came to Torquay. He played 135 games for Torquay. Good player, solid, solid part of the team. Uh, he was part, I think it was his testimonial in which we played against Manchester United. But I have got a cutting on that, which I'll bring out next week when we talk about Manchester United, because we've played them a couple of times in friendlies and they've been great occasions as well. We'll talk next week as well about FC United of Manchester. That was a memorable game uh, at Playmore a few years ago. Uh, up front for the L team. Um, guess what? You can guess who you should be able to guess. Both of them. Les Lawrence is one of them. Should have, been, should have been able to guess too, you're right. Big Les Lawrence. Uh, from 1977 to 1982, he was in partnership with Willie Brown up front. Six foot two inch striker, 
terrific header of the ball again a really really good play he was an idol about, about that time when I was standing in the mini stand he was an absolute idol for uh, Torquay United fans big Les Lawrence uh, looked at a few career details of him he had played for your favourite team he played for Aldershot he got prom- he, really he got a promotion when he was playing for Port Vale as well after playing more uh, but one thing that did stick out, there was another uh, a little piece about him in the programme, which was another one of these pen pictures where you find out a little bit about what the players are like off the pitch. And his car at the time was a Ford Cortina 1600E. Of course it was. All self-respecting <laughs> footballers at that time had a Cortina 1600E. And, you know, I, I just like the image of Les drawing up at Plainmore in the 1600E ready for a game. Uh, alongside Steve Cooper at times as well that's a formidable front line isn't yeah it? absolutely but what a player uh, very fond memories there as well uh, and alongside him is Colin Lee of course that would have been that's the one. yeah I mean Colin Lee is, is steeped in Torquay United history isn't he Colin I mean he first first played his football for Buckfast Lee Rangers though let's not forget that a, a very well known South Devon League club where he first started off. Um, played for Torquay in 1977. He got 35 games under his belt, 14 goals, and then we sold him to Spurs for £60,000. He then promptly, he then promptly scored uh, four times in a 9-0 win over Bristol Rovers on match of the day. Frank Prince was playing for Bristol Rovers that day as well. He won't thank me for having pointed that out. But, I mean, Colin was just a... Yeah, because sometimes I'm sure that came up in conversation <laughs> you know, again. Um, but just a, a, uh, a natural striker, a natural forward, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember watching him on telly, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously after playing, he came back as uh, chief executive of, of the club. Yeah, he was caretaker manager that day that we um, we, we stayed in the yeah. league up at Barnet. Yeah. 2001, then came back in 2007. Uh, after Lubos Kubik and the uh, unfortunate sequence of events that we referred to last week that we will not refer to again, uh, not in this podcast anyway. Uh, but that's, you know, he was part of the rescue package that got us out of that uh, dreadful period. He was chief exec under um, Chris Boyce as well, you know, as Torquay began to recover from that awful uh, episode. And he appointed Paul Buckle. So, you know, this is. He's had a part in a lot of good things at Playmore, Colin Lee. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I was working uh, in the media when he was there, and uh, yeah, he was always it was pleasant to talk to. Uh, I, I do remember when I was at the Sunday Independent. Um, not proud of it. I scooped uh, scooped the Herald Express. You did what? Over. <laughs> um, uh, I got a little phone call about it on the, on the sort of Saturday night just before we were about to go to press and uh, had to rip up the back page and uh, and yeah it was a, it was a good day but um, I remember uh, when uh, you know we sort of met up with the with, with, with the new people a couple yeah. of weeks later or whatever uh, uh, Alex 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 oh I can't remember his surname uh, he was the chairman for a while wasn't he Alex uh, Alex Alex Rowe yeah right uh, and they were they were quizzing me on who'd uh, who'd let the cow out of the basket, and obviously you know you can't tell you can't say that, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, they, they they were joking about it. I'm sure it wasn't funny for them when it came out on the back page of the paper on the Sunday, but uh, no, great, great, great. Uh, kick started the the future, really, didn't they? Yeah. They, they came. They 
group of group of businessmen, uh, local businessmen, the voices rose, you know, and uh, and um, you know they they oh, really we... really turned it around with 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 with, uh, with Colin kind of with his eyes on the on field yeah. situation. It was a new start, wasn't it? It really was. Um, you know, it was. It, you can look at that really as a watershed, can't you? The end of one era, which had kind of fallen apart quite acrimoniously, and the start of a new one. Which, um, yeah, you know, let's face it, we had some good times over the next few years after that. Yeah, if I remember rightly, Paul Buckle turned up. There was only four players on the book. Yeah, I think if I remember rightly, I thought he was just had the one. I thought he just had hockers in the uh, in the training uh, training area at one time. But. I re- when we were talking about hockers last week, I, 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 as an aside to this, obviously, because we're going back to H, but I forgot the story about a hockers um, had been released um, by Roy McFarland. Yeah. Literally was released. And um, when Roy quit uh, over the, uh, the Mike Bateson's decision to let uh, David Priest go... Um, Mike Bateson ran after Hockers as he left, uh, as he left, and, and, and re-employed him. Instantly. Of course, of course, you would. <laughs> I hadn't heard that story before. It's no, a good one. I heard that story, and I hope it's correct. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a story that I've heard. So that's your eleven L players on the bench. Honorable mention. There are plenty of them actually, but honorable mention for Connor Lemon, Hay Evans, of course. Member of the current yeah. squad and Alex Lawless, who played a lot of games for us. Talking about Connor because he he did make an impact when he came, didn't he? He did. Um, still a bit of learning to do, and you know you wonder if we might see him again too. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I think I think learning to do. I think you're right. I think there's a terrific player in there, and we haven't yeah. quite pulled all of it out yet, have we? But there's um, there's a really good player in there. Alex Lawless, yeah, uh, he was a decent player. Went on to have a quite a long career. Still, might even still be playing now, to be honest with you. I, think. I wouldn't be surprised. He's another one like Loram, isn't he? If there's a game on and there's a ball at his feet, he will play. Yeah, yeah we, we had him quite quite young, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. And that justly the the last name at the bottom of my sheet of paper. Though you go on, you come up with another. Well, I, just 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 a quick reference, Ellis Lay, who obviously Ellis Lay. Uh, youth system, um, talky bloke, um, and didn't quite make it at Talk United. Although he did, he did play a few games and scored a few goals. But had an am- amazing non-league career. Uh, you know, played for everyone within a, a hundred-mile radius, which isn't that many teams, to be fair. But um, you know, and uh, well respected. Ended up as, as manager at Buckland uh, a couple of seasons ago. Didn't quite work out there, but. Um, no, great, great, great bloke. Really nice, really good to talk to. My dad taught him to drive. Oh well, yeah. I will say that my dad taught quite a lot of players to drive because he was a driving instructor during the sort of the eighties. Yeah. Uh, about, you know, uh, he changed career shortly after, probably mid nineties um, or maybe two thousands. But yeah, there's a lot of players who were taught to drive by my dad. He didn't teach Les Lawrence in the Cortina sixteen hundred E, did he? I, I think I, I think that's just about when he started. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. There you go. Thanks, Richard. Uh, good podcast time again this week. I think we've tried to bring it down. I think we may just be under the hour this week, having uh, tested people's patience uh, quite extremely last week. Uh, there we go. 
uh, M next week, Manchester United, plenty to talk about on the M's. And who knows, we might even know a little bit more about when football starts again. But there is one thing, one thing I want to talk about just before we leave. Uh, Nick Broderick's column in the Herald Express, terrific as ever. And how about this? Look, a Japanese smartphone app will get around the business of football being played behind closed doors, will allow fans to send virtual cheers and jeers to sports events played at closed stadiums. Users will be able to tap the app to deliver reactions via speakers at the grounds. Do you think that's wise? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a more... All this, all this uh, let's try and replace crowds with some kind of magical tech or cardboard cutouts. It's, you know, none of it is going to replace a crowd. No, it is. Um, it's just going to be a novelty. It's not going to work. No, and, and, and as we've seen in some of the, uh, the crowds in Europe, um, you know, some, some dubious figures have been car- cardboard cutouts over the last week. Um, yeah. Exactly. When the crowd's back, the crowds will, will, will do their own thing. And roll on that day. Okay, yeah. we're going to leave you with a bit more music from uh, Ian Churchwood and the legendary 10 Seconds. And this, brace yourselves, goals fans, is the Theatre of Pain.
You have been listening to the Devon Live Herald Express Talkie United Yellow Army podcast, recorded weekly by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. You can find us in the Talkie United channel on the Devon Live website, and you can subscribe to us at iTunes. Please leave a review wherever you see us. We welcome all feedback, uh, whether positive or negative. We always like to know what you think of the Yellow Army podcast. Please join us next time.